Well, hello and welcome. I'm excited that you're here today. As Heidi said in the video, I'm Pastor Andrew. Uh, even if you're not here with us in person, I'm glad you're joining us online. We're always excited about that. Uh, we are continuing our series called Spiritual Rhythms. This is actually our third week. And in this series, what we have been doing is looking at certain spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture that we as believers ought to practice in our lives so that we can honestly get the most out of our relationship with God in this life. Now, today's discipline is a little more unique than the others, and I think it requires a little more explanation because of that. But here's the deal. This is not because it is strange or, or, or mystical or anything like that. The reason that I say it requires more explanation is because we're talking about meditation. And the truth is, in our society, the word meditation has become synonymous with uh, Eastern religious practices, New Age practices, and things like that. And so uh, what happens is most of us, if not all of us, when we hear this word, uh, we get a certain picture in our mind. In fact, I think that this clip sums up what we imagine pretty well. This is the best meditation center in the area. It doesn't look like much. Oh, actually, this strip mall has surprisingly decent cheap. Although, the smells from the Greek restaurant next door are not ideal. But through this door lies a deep, serene quietude. Excuse me, ladies, on your right. Now, take in the vibe of the room and remain open of mind and of spirit. Now, quietly, sit behind me and let's join breath. I'll stand. Interesting technique. All told, we were in there about six hours. And no, I was not meditating. I just stood there quietly breathing. There were no thoughts in my head whatsoever. My mind was blank. Ron, you radiated mindfulness. What were you thinking about? I wasn't thinking at all. Incredible. It takes a ton of work for me to get to that kind of a clear headspace, no matter how hard I try. Don't try so hard. You want to head back? I do. But first, there's a hot spinning cone of meat in that Greek restaurant next door. I don't know what it is, but I'd like to eat the whole thing. Just so we're clear, that's not what we're going to be talking about today when we talk about meditation, the spiritual discipline of meditation. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms and just hold your place there in chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of different texts in our time together, but the foundation for what I want us to see today is going to come from the first part of the first chapter of Psalms. And before we read uh, through anything else, though, I want to remind you, as we've done each week of the definition that we've been using for spiritual rhythms, that's that spiritual rhythms are spiritual disciplines that lead to spiritual transformation. Spiritual rhythms are spiritual disciplines that lead to spiritual transformation. So far in this series, we've looked at submission, which we said was simply the laying aside of our will for the will of God. Last week, we looked at confession, and we did this because, and we all know that this is true, 
Even after we experience salvation, we struggle with the reality of sin in our lives. And confession is one of the ways that we deal with that. It's one of the things that keeps our relationship right with God. Because as we heard last week, confession is spoken repentance. Confession is spoken repentance. Well, as I said earlier, our topic today requires a little more explanation than the others because of our preconceived notions. Uh, But I also believe that we can see everything that we need to see about meditation in our main scripture today, which is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, So as we do each week, I'd ask if you're willing and able to please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read these first few verses. You can follow along. As I read aloud, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Thank you. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. In this psalm, Psalm 1, it acts as kind of an introduction to the entire book. And it gives us primarily two pictures, a picture of the godly and a picture of the ungodly. For our purposes today, we are focused on the first three verses, which is a picture of the godly. And in these verses, we see two main things that I want to talk about in our time together. And that's just what I'm calling the basics and the benefits of meditation. The basics and the benefits of meditation. Those are the only two things that we're going to talk about today. uh, The basics and the benefits. But as you might imagine, they're both deep wells for us to draw from. Uh, Now, here's the deal. We're just going to start by looking at the basics. We're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best to keep this uh, as simple and straightforward as possible. So if you like to take notes, you can write this down uh, somewhere. Number one, the basics of meditation. The basics of meditation. Now, the word meditate that we see in our text, we see it specifically at the end of verse 2 where it says meditating on it day and night. That word, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to to mutter or to speak. And I don't know, that might seem a bit strange uh, to you. It does to me a little bit. But the key to understanding this better is to realize that it's talking about something that we do inside of our hearts. And here's the deal. I don't mean that in any sort of um, uh, mushy or romanticized way. When I talk about the heart, I mean it in the biblical sense of the word. Whenever you read or see the word heart in the Bible, it's a reference to everything that makes us who we are on the inside. It's a reference to our attitude, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts, our imaginations, all of that. So it's something that we do inside of us. And I want us to have a clear understanding or or a clear definition of what we're talking about when we say the word meditate today. So I I looked at the original word, uh, the meaning of the word, and I looked at some descriptions that I saw in books and commentaries uh, that I have. And after all of that, this is what we're going to use for just a simple definition of meditation for our time together today. Uh, Meditation is focused contemplation. That's, that's where we landed. Meditation is focused contemplation. Uh, to add to that just a little bit, in his book, 
celebration of discipline, Richard Foster, uh, he has a lot to say about meditation. Uh, but to be perfectly honest, one of the things that really uh, struck me as, as, as uh, important uh, when I read it was um, when he spent some time to distinguish the difference between uh, kind of Eastern meditation, the, the meditation that we see so often in pop culture, in, in TV show and movies, and the type of meditation that we see in the Bible. When he distinguishes that, it really stuck out to me because this is what he says. He says, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. Now, obviously, that is a big difference. This has been crucial for me and my understanding of meditation. And when we think about meditation as focused contemplation, if we add to that, you know, something that fills us up, We see that it's more than just reading the text. It's more than just uh, even studying the Bible like many of us might be used to. And what we see in Psalm 1 gives us some some basic principles for meditation. So uh, if we are to understand that meditation from a Christian worldview uh, is focused contemplation, something that fills us up rather than empties us out, What we see in our text are three things that it takes to experience that. The first thing it takes is desire. Then it takes consistency. And finally, it takes time. And I'm just going to work my way through these three things. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that it takes desire. The beginning of Psalm 1 verse 2 says, They delight in the law of the Lord. Obviously, it's that word delight that really sticks out to me. Now, real quick, just for the sake of clarity today, whenever we read that phrase, law of the Lord, it's a reference to the whole Bible. It's a reference to all of God's word. I know that this psalm was written uh, before we had the New Testament, obviously, for example. Uh, but this, it's not a reference to just like the Ten Commandments. It's not a reference to just the parts of Scripture where God says what to do or what not to do. It's a reference to all of God's word that is available to us. We today obviously have more of God's word available to us than the psalmist did. So the first thing that we need, if we're going to practice the filling up of our minds with God's word, is a desire, a desire for God's word. And this is more than just, you know, a simple recognition that the Bible has value, that the Bible has worth, that there's, there's wisdom in it. It's more like what we read in Psalm 119, 103, where it says, How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. You see, when we have a genuine desire for the word of God, it keeps us from just going through the motions. And that's important because we know that God is deeply concerned with, deeply concerned with the desires of our hearts, the attitude of our hearts. Jesus highlighted this danger, uh, the danger of simply going through the motions in Matthew 15. He was actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's not the way that we should be. What we should strive for is more like what we see in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, where he says, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for it. 
The first thing is desire. The second thing that we see in our text is that meditation takes consistency. It takes consistency. Meditating on it day and night. That's what we see also in the second verse of Psalm 1. I don't know. This is, to me at least, the discipline part of meditation. Maybe I could say that it's the rhythm part of meditation. Uh, We have to be consistent when it comes to the time that we spend in the Word of God. And the truth is, this is easier for some people than it is for others. Uh, But if we want to genuinely and truly meditate on the Word of God, if we want to truly be filled up with the Word of God, we have to do this consistently. I was trying to think this week, honestly, uh, you know, with full transparency about the things in my life that I do with the most consistency. And like I said, if I'm going to be completely transparent with you today, uh, I would say that the only thing that I do in my life that I would call, uh, I do it with, you know, like laser focused consistency is eat food. And that is, I mean, I, I tried to think of other things. I tried to think of better things. I tried to think of funnier things. I don't know. That's really what it was. That's the most honest thing that I can say. I try to exercise each day, but I don't always do that. I love to read, but there are long stretches of time where for one reason or another, I don't even pick up a book. I like to play games, but that dif- that's difficult as well. I have a time set aside each morning for a devotion, but if I sleep in, if there's something that happens unexpectedly, I can miss that. But the truth is, I never miss a meal. And I usually eat between meals. Does anyone know what that's like? Okay, that's the kind of consistency that I need in my life when it comes to God's word. That's the kind of consistency that we need. Remember, we said that meditation is focused contemplation. This is because it's more than just a a cursory reading of God's word. It's more than even just, you know, looking at the study notes in maybe a study Bible or something like that. It's so much deeper. Proverbs 7 verses 1 through 4 says, Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight a beloved member of your family. When we delight in and desire God's word, and when we are consistent and even methodical in our time spent in God's word, it becomes, it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our identity, and it has the power to change us from the inside out. Just like the writer of Hebrews says uh, when he's describing the scriptures, he says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And I know that's a really familiar scripture. I love the part of the end. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And I think at least in my life, whenever I read that, I, I think most often it's in reference to some kind of conviction because we read the word of God and it cuts through the facade that we wear into who we really are and it's not necessarily a good thing. And listen, the Bible certainly does have the power to do that. 
But what we see in our text today, our main text, tells us that the goal of our lives should be to delight in the Word of God and be so consistent with the Word of God that our innermost thoughts are the Word of God. They're written in our hearts. And when that happens, when we see through to who we really are, it's not conviction that we feel, but celebration. Celebration, because we, when we're consistent with God's word, it makes us consistent inside and out. That's the truth. When we're consistent with God's word, it makes us consistent inside and out. There is no facade to cut through because we are the same. We are the same inside and out. And this leads us to the third thing that we need if we're going to experience meditation. And that is simply time. Time. Verse 3, they're like trees. Now, I don't know, maybe you think that's funny. I think it's a little funny, but I also think it's a great description. It's a, it's a powerful description, and it's all connected. Uh, because uh, the truth is, um, you know, when we're focused on meditation, when we do this focused contemplation, when we're, we're not emptying our minds, we're not trying to kind of just blank out everything around us, we're trying to be filled up by the word of God, the truth is that takes time. Not just time in the moment, but time day after day after day after day. And it's a great picture, this, this idea of a tree, because a tree grows so slowly that we don't see it happen with our own eyes. And yet we know, we all know that the, the roots grow down deep. And when it gets the food that it needs, it grows up uh, big and wide and it can last for decades, if not longer. I know that God works the way that God wants to work. And that means that there are times in our lives, there can be times in our lives where uh, we experience the word of God and we study the word of God and it feels like a fire hose just pouring into our hearts. But there are also times when it feels more like maybe the drip of a faucet. And listen, the reality is those fire hose moments, they tend to be more of the exception than the rule. But listen, that's not because God is stingy with anything that he has for us or anything that he wants for us. It's because there is so much, there is so much that we have to learn. There's so much depth, so much worth, so much meaning in God's word. That the truth is someone could spend their entire life pouring over and pouring into the Bible and still at the end be moved by it and, and learn from it and feel conviction by it and also be comforted by it. That's the reality of God's word. Author and pastor Eugene Kim, or sorry, Eugene Peterson, uh, wrote a book about discipleship that speaks to the, the time that it takes to be filled up by God. And it has kind of a unique title only because it comes from a quote uh, of all people uh, by the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who is not exactly a friend of Christianity. But this is what Peterson says in his book, and this is where he gets the title from. He says, Friedrich Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth, at least, with great clarity, wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth 
living. A long obedience in the same direction. I think that that's a pretty powerful description of what the Christian life should be like for some of us and is like for some of us. And the way that we hear this often in our world is simply to say that our spiritual journey is not a sprint, but a marathon. A long obedience in the same direction. So those are the basics. I'm going to talk just briefly at the end, uh, a little more practically, but those are the basics of meditation that we see from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. So the benefits, if you're still taking notes, number two, the benefits of meditation. And I want to read verse three of our text one more time, describing the godly people. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. And what we see here is that when we delight in God's word, when we are consistent in God's word, and when we devote time to God's word, three things will happen. We will be fruitful, we will endure, and we will be prosperous. We will be fruitful, we will endure, and we will be prosperous. The first thing that we see, fruitful. When Jesus was talking about his followers' need for discernment in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Excuse me. A good tree cannot, or excuse me, can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Sorry about that. But here's the deal. Bearing fruit is simply what a normal tree does. And that's an important thing for us to recognize. Bearing fruit is simply what a normal, healthy tree does. It's not something that we see only in special trees. It's not something that we see only in uh, genetically modified trees or something like that. And for us as believers, I believe this serves as both an encouragement and a conviction. I think it's an encouragement because every single one of us, we can live a fruitful life in God's eyes. You don't have to have any sort of unique or special talents. You don't have to go through any sort of special training. You don't have to be born with any sort of special skills because bearing fruit is the byproduct of a healthy Christian life. That's the reality. But even though this is an encouragement, and I hope you're encouraged by that, I think it is, or at least it should be, also a conviction for two reasons. The first one is because I think it calls us to honestly examine ourselves, to truthfully and genuinely look at our lives and say whether or not we're doing this. I look at my life and say, am I bearing fruit in my life? And you look at your life and you say, am I bearing fruit? in my life. Why? Why not? And the second reason it can be a conviction is because that we are all, we are all called to do this. Bearing fruit, bearing fruit in our lives, it's not something that's just set aside for missionaries or pastors or teachers or, or anyone like that. 
And the reality is that this means we don't just sit back and watch other people bear fruit. It means that it's my responsibility. It's what I am called to do. And it also means that it's your responsibility. It's what you are called to do. And the second benefit of meditation is that we will endure. We'll endure. And I, I personally love this. Remember, when we meditate on God's word, we are like a tree along a riverbank whose leaves never wither. Well, what does that mean? It means that we are so close to and so connected to God that this always changing world, the always changing circumstances of our life won't change us, not who we truly are. This, this tree that we see pictured in this psalm, it's not dependent on, on the rain to give it water so that when there's a dry season or a dry spell, it doesn't die. This tree is so close to the source of its nourishment that it has what it needs all the time, no matter what. All the time, no matter what, no matter the circumstances. And this is the truth for you and me as well. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that it always makes sense. But we have what we need all the time. This is why we can endure the reality of life in this world. Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 16 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Another great example of this comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Finally, the last benefit at least from our text, this is not an exhaustive list, don't think that it is, is we will be prosperous. We'll be prosperous. And really to get a good understanding of what this looks like, we need to look at Psalm 1 again and see the contrast here. Because one of the things that I said in the beginning of our time together is that this Psalm gives us two pictures, the godly and the ungodly. And all we've done in the first three verses is look at a description of the godly, what they do and what they don't do. And so while the godly prosper, you keep reading and you see that the ungodly are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. Worthless chaff scattered by the wind. And that's a harsh image, no matter who you are. But what it is saying is that these people, they have no Substance. They have no meaning. They have no weight to their life. It's not that they as people don't matter, but the things that they've poured themselves into and the things that they've let fill them up, they don't have true value. Think about this. You know, it's one of the things that we've said over and over again. This type of meditation, this focused contemplation is, is a filling up of the mind. And when we do that, when we fill up our minds with the word of God, it gives us weight. It gives us substance. And the reality is we can't just fill our minds up. We can't just fill our lives up with anything that we want and think that it all has the same value as the word of God. And this is important because the truth is we are always being filled up by something. You and I, we're always being filled up by something. In a 
commencement address in 2005, the author David Foster Wallace spent some time discussing the cliche that we hear in education, this idea of teaching students how to think. And for what it's worth, this is what he said. Learning how to think really means learning how to exercise some control over how and what you think. It means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to. And I share that with you today because, like I said, we're all being filled up with something. We're all focusing on something. We delight in something. We spend our days and nights on something. We devote years of our lives to something. What is it? What is it for you? Is it something that is weighty? Something that adds substance and and value? Something that can stand not just the test of time, but the test of eternity? Or is it something of so little substance that it can be scattered by the wind? All right, one final piece of advice when it comes to practicing meditation in our daily lives. We do this through Jesus. We do it through Jesus. Only by a full understanding of the gospel and what Jesus did for us on the cross are we able to do this, to truly meditate on God's word. I mean, think about it. Honestly, really think about it. Without Jesus, we don't delight in the law of God because without Jesus, all it does is show us how sinful we are and how far from God we are. And if we don't delight in it, then we won't desire it. And if we won't desire it, then we won't be consistent with it. And then we won't devote time to it. But, but through Jesus and because of Jesus, we, as Ephesians 2.13 says, have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And not only that, Not only that, but because of Jesus, we are brought near God and we have been made new. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And since we are now near to God because of Jesus, and now we are made new because of Jesus, we can delight in the law of the Lord. And we can be filled up with the things of Jesus. And we can do what Colossians 3 verse 2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Later in that passage, we see in verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Listen, I know that I've just kind of, I feel, I feel at least, maybe you don't feel this way. I know that I've just kind of bombarded you with scripture today, especially here at the end. But this is what we're called to do. This is how we meditate. This is how we meditate on God's word. This is how we're filled up with the word of God. And please understand what I mean when I say what I'm about to say. Because this is just the real practical part. It's a quality over quantity approach. And here's all I mean when I say that. Because this is real practical. What it means is when we meditate, when we have this focused contemplation, we focus on one verse or one passage or one story. And what we do is we we take it and we get as much out of it as we possibly can. Uh, we, we, We look at it day and night. We pray about it. We pray 
for it. We, we, we pray it all the time. We talk about it with the people around us. We talk about it with our friends and our family. We ask them what they think about it, what perspectives they have. And when we do this, it gets written on our hearts until it becomes part of who we are. Think about it like this. It's, it's like if you've ever taken a sponge and dunked it into water and then, you, and then you pick it up and you squeeze it and you get water out and then you let it expand again. And then you squeeze it again and you get even more out. And then you squeeze it again and you get even more out. And you do that again and again until there is nothing left. And once we have done that, then we pick a new verse or a new passage or a new story and we dip into that well and we start the same process over again. I'm gonna leave you with just one final passage, one final piece of encouragement and the, the band can come out and get ready to play. John 15, verses four through seven, this is Jesus speaking to his followers and it really goes well with what we've seen so far in Psalm 1. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for everything that we see in your word. Thank you for the fact that it is so dense and so deep that we can, we can, we can pick a passage and we can spend time on it day and night and day after day. And we can look at each individual word and sentence and phrase and the context and so much more. And it just does nothing but grow and grow and grow inside of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, show us how to do this and remind us that we do this not because it's a chore, but because the reality of our lives is that we are always being filled up with something. And we need to do all that we can to make sure that we are being filled up with you. I pray this in Jesus' name.